Good morning to everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church and delighted to welcome you to worship at the Franklin campus. God bless you all. We love you so much. Pastor Eric, uh, you are a true friend and partner. All of us, we love you. Uh, uh, Overflow, James Weekly, we love you guys as well. Thank you for worshiping with us. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, everyone. Joshua chapter 6, starting a new sermon series this morning entitled, If These Walls Could Talk, uh, What God is Trying to Say to You When You're Up Against a Wall. We're going to start at the walls of Jericho, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 16, and then jump down to verse 20. Joshua chapter 6, let's jump right in. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. The ark of the covenant represents God's presence, God's presence with them. Verse 9, some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, fell flat, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. That's a good story. 
Most of you know, perhaps by now, that my six-year-old son got his driver's license this week. I am so excited for him because I remember what that feels like. Any of you remember? Can you possibly remember turning 16, getting the driver's license? Oh, my goodness. From the time I was 11 on, I just counted the days. I wanted to drive so bad. It's a wonderful feeling. That first day when you get your license, that first time you drive by yourself, how many of you have done that now? 16? Yeah. That first time, don't you feel like you're breaking the law? Like that first time when you're all by yourself, you still feel like you're doing something wrong, but you're not. You've got a license. It's great. It is the most wonderful, wonderful feeling. Even though now when I turned 16, I I drove my daddy's gigantic orange truck. This is the 1980s, which means the truck would have probably come from the 70s or maybe the 60s. Y'all know my dad, maybe. It was an old truck, but man, I was so happy to drive it. This was back in the days when, if you remember, you would put like a scene on the back of a window of a truck. You remember that? Like on a screen, you could see through it. And my dad had a cowboy scene on the back of that truck. It was cowboys and their horses drinking out of a stream. Uh, it was lame, but still, man, I was so happy to drive it. I was so glad, so glad to be in it. Because driving represents freedom. Absolutely, driving is freedom. I think that's probably why there are so many songs, so many songs that you've heard all of your life, so many songs that people still sing that have to do with driving, being on the road, being on the highway. Y'all know J.C. Maxwell? Y'all know J.C.? You know what J.C. Maxwell's favorite song is? J.C. Maxwell's a Woodburn campus guy, but he's from Franklin. A lot of you know him. J.C. is an older gentleman, a Christian man. You'd think his favorite song would be Victory in Jesus or something, but you know what his favorite song is? Got your motor running, dun, dun, dun. headed on the highway, dun, dun, dun. looking for adventure, dun, dun, dun. and whatever comes our way, you know it? Born to be wild. That's his favorite song. I'm not making that up. He wants the choir to do that at his funeral. Isn't that awesome? Oh my goodness. Almost heaven, West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River, take me home, country roads. Y'all know that one, you country people? Yeah, all about driving, all about the highway. Tell me some others, you want any more? On the road again, (laughs) just can't wait to get on the road again. Yeah, life I love is making music with my friends. Yeah, it's all about adventure, it's all about joy, it's all about freedom. What else, got any? Life is a highway, I would ride it all night long. Y'all know this stuff? Y'all listen to the radio? Yeah, man, so good. All of those songs, all of those songs are about freedom. And those songs are popular. They've been popular all of my life, and they're still singing songs about the highway because we love that feeling of freedom. As people, we are addicted to moving forward, going places, adventures, freedom. We love that, which is why in our lives, when all of a sudden our forward motion is blocked, we don't know what to do. That's why there aren't any really, really happy songs about walls. Songs about the highway, but not about walls. Walls represent the opposite. 
When we say that we're up against a wall, when we say that we've hit the wall, we're talking about frustration now. We're talking about abandonment. We're talking about all of our freedom and all of our forward motion suddenly, all of a sudden, getting stuck. That's what it means to be up against a wall. I'm a runner. I'm not much of a runner. I'm not a fast runner. I'm not a good runner, but I do love to run. And I ran my first marathon two years ago. I know that I didn't make it look like anything you wanted to do. I made it look hard. I made it look painful. I made it look like a near-death experience, and it was. It was. If y'all remember, I couldn't get up the steps the next Sunday. I just had to stand down here like a little old man. I was pathetic. Because in marathons, they say that somewhere around mile 20, for me it was mile 18, you hit the wall. Now, I've been tired before running. I've gotten sick before running. I've thrown up. I've sweated. I've peed my pants. I've done everything running. I just have. Running is difficult. But there's this wall that is out there. They say at mile 18, 19, mile 20. And I said, for me, it was mile 18. I've never felt anything like that. It was a devastating kind of exhaustion. All of a sudden, it's not just physical. It is physical, but it's also mental. Your central nervous system begins to shut down on you, and you can no longer think, and your legs go numb, and it is the most difficult, the most devastating kind of feeling to to hit that wall. You don't have to be a marathon runner to know what that feels like because, honestly, our life is a kind of race, as the Bible says. And in your life, you've probably by now come up against a wall. You've got to some place where all of a sudden the forward motion, the the freedom, the running, the getting through the race, all of a sudden, all of that is blocked. Your life gets stuck. Now, this may be a financial wall. For some of you, it it is. You you get to a place financially where all of a sudden your life can't move forward. Maybe it's an issue at work or maybe it's an issue because you're out of work, suddenly stuck. Your life is just stuck. Maybe it has something to do with with the pregnancy, a difficult pregnancy or, or the inability to get pregnant for a lot of couples. Life gets stuck. Maybe it's an issue in a relationship. Maybe you're single and you just can't seem to move forward, can't ever find anybody. Or maybe you're married, but your marriage reaches that point where suddenly your marriage is stuck. Everything good is, is blocked from you. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It's, it's hitting the wall. Maybe it's an issue at school or an issue in your sport. I, I don't know exactly. It could be any place because, honestly, there are so many walls out there, so many walls that we can hit, so many moments in life when all of a sudden we just get stuck, stuck. So what do you do? That's the real question. What are you supposed to do when your life suddenly comes to a screeching halt, when all of a sudden you are facing a wall and there's no moving forward anymore? What do you do then? More importantly, what is God saying to you in that moment? What does God have to say to you when your life is up against the wall? What are you supposed to be hearing? What are you supposed to do? First thing, you got to ask yourself, what kind of wall is this? What kind of wall is this? I'm not so much talking about whether it's financial or marital. I'm not talking about that anymore. Whatever kind of wall you're facing, you still got to ask, what kind of wall is this? Because honestly, it could probably be one of two types. Either this is a wall that the enemy has placed up in your path to prevent you from getting to what God has for you. 
And the enemy does that. You have an enemy, and sometimes the enemy will will put up a wall. Every time God gives a promise, every time God gives a blessing, the devil puts up a wall. Never forget that. So honestly, a lot of times in our lives, the walls we face are the walls that the enemy puts up in order to prevent us from getting to the place where God wants us to be. It is his full-time job. You understand that? To put up walls. He wants to block your path. He wants to prevent you to going into the land of promise that God has for you. He wants to take away all of the blessings God has for you, and so he will put up a wall. So you've got to ask yourself, is this a wall that the enemy has placed? Is this a wall that is there because the devil is blocking my path? That's the first kind of wall. But there's another kind of wall, and I don't want you to forget that sometimes, sometimes God puts up a wall. Why would God do that? God would put up a wall for one reason, and why is that? To keep you from going to a place where you should not go. To keep you from going to a place that is not the place of blessing for you. That is not the land of promise for you. God will put up a wall sometimes in order to keep you from wandering off into a place he never intends that you go. God will put up a wall. Honestly, it's very frustrating when he does because lots of times when God has to wall something off from us, it's truly something that we want. It's truly a place that that we might want to go or we think we want to go. It may seem like a place where we really might have a future and might have some happiness, but God knows better. God knows best. Last few months, we've been shopping for used cars for my son. And we would go shopping for cars, and my my son wanted a car so bad. I understand that. Did I tell you all, I drove an orange truck with a cowboy scene on the back. I, I wanted my son to have a decent car, a used car. I don't want it to be a car that goes fast. But a car. But my son wanted a car so bad. So he'd get on the internet. He found a used Xterra in Murfreesboro. Dad, this is the car. We got to go to Murfreesboro. So we ain't going to Murfreesboro looking for cars. We're not driving to Murfreesboro. But over Thanksgiving, we went to Chattanooga to Casey's parents, and then we ended up driving back through Murfreesboro. So we stopped him, and I couldn't say, you know, no, we can't. I mean, we're right there. So we, we, we pull off. We go look at this car that Wade found on the Internet. I'm telling you, on the Internet, it looked awesome. It was shiny. It was beautiful. It was on this, like, dance floor with a disco ball over it. I mean, they made it look awesome. In real life, it was a jalopy. And Wade says, can we get it? I mean, Wade wanted every car. And can you blame him? Do you know that feeling of getting a car? He wanted a car today. He wanted any old jalopy. He would look at the cars with the headliner, sack it at the top. He goes, that's it. That's the car. And I would say, no, no, that's not your car. We're not buying that thing. If we have to keep looking till Jesus comes, we're not driving that thing. Understand? Why did I keep telling him no? Why did we keep saying no? We're going to keep looking. It's not that car. The search does not end in Murfreesboro. Why were we saying that? Because we knew, we always knew that there was going to be something better. We wanted something even better for him. Lots of times God tells you no, and you get so angry and so revengeful. God, why won't you let me have this? Why won't you give me this man? Why won't you give me this woman? Why won't you let me have this job? God, what is wrong? Why are you telling me no? Why this wall? 
Because God has something better for you. God never says no to you unless he has something better to say yes to, maybe down the road. So sometimes you're going to be blocked. And that in itself is a sign of God's blessing. It is God's way of saying no, there's something better. No, not this way, another way. Now, when you reach that wall that God puts up, when it's God blocking your path, what do you do? You change the path you're walking. When it's God who says no to your desires, you've got to say no to your desires. You've got to turn and go in another direction. You've got to ask, what kind of wall is this? Who's putting this wall up? In the story, the Israelites are facing walls, actually. The city of Jericho was surrounded by walls, more than one. There was an outer wall, very thick, very, very strong, and an inner wall. Walls, plural. What kind of walls are these? These are walls placed by the enemy. Do you understand that? Because the whole story begins with a promise. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. I have given you Jericho. The story begins with a promise. Now, you've got to understand fundamental principle of the spiritual life. You're not going to get everything you want. You're not even going to get everything you pray for, no matter what the TV evangelists tell you. You don't get everything you want. You don't get everything you pray for. But you do get everything God promises. You understand me? You get everything God promises. And if God says, I've given you Jericho, they're going to have Jericho. There's no question about this. God has told the children of Israel now for generations that this land of promise, the land of Canaan, is theirs. And the way to get to their future, the way to get to everything God has promised them is to go through Jericho. They've got to get through Jericho in order to get to everything God has promised and everything God has for them. So these walls are from the enemy. These walls are blocking them from their future with God. And so they're going to have to get past these walls. Gonna have to get past these walls. These walls. So what do you do when you're up against a wall? What do the children of Israel do when they get to these walls? Remember, they've been here before. They've absolutely been here before. A generation ago, they sent spies into the land, and they went to places like Jericho, and these boys looked at walls like the walls of Jericho, and they spied on the soldiers at places like Jericho, and they came back and said what? We'll never be able to live there. We'll never be able to take this place. Those people in Jericho are like giants. They're like giants and we're like grasshoppers. We're like termites. We're so small. They're so big. We'll never have it. Do you remember that story? That was a generation ago. That generation walked away from places like Jericho and they never got to where God wanted them to be. Why? Because they stopped at the wall. They stopped at the wall. What do you do when you come up against a wall? Most of us freak out. We freak out. We love freedom, baby. We love forward motion. We love to be on the road again. We love to be born to be wild, looking for adventure, got the motor running. We love that. We don't love all of the sudden having everything in our life come to a screeching halt. We don't love that. We freak out. We just freak out. 
we were camping once with my in-laws. I love my in-laws. They're, they're awesome people. They're also good for a laugh, but, but you can't laugh right at them, you know? We were setting up for a camping trip, and, and my in-laws camp right. They, they, they used to camp all the time. They had tents and equipment. It was awesome to camp with them. So we were setting up our camp. Of course, my in-laws have the nice camper where they sleep with heat and beds. Casey and I always slept in a tent in Alaska in the cold, but, but I'm not bitter. That's okay. We would sleep in the tent, and we were setting up our tent, and, and Mom and Dad were setting up the camper, and all of a sudden, Casey's mother screams. I mean, screams. Blood-curdling scream. And then she continues to scream and moan. Oh, oh, oh! Why, why? What have I done? Oh, no, no, no. We're thinking, what is this? What is this? And we come busting out of the tent. Mom, what's going on? What's wrong? No, why? Why did I do this? Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Mom, what is it? What is it? I forgot my earplugs. I don't have my earplugs. No, no, why is she panicking? Some of you ladies of a certain generation married to a man of the same generation. Why is she panicking to be away from home without earplugs? He snores. Yeah, Colonel Wilson snores. I mean, he snores the way other artists work in oils or clay. I mean, he is an artist of snoring. I mean, it would rattle the windows. This man snores. Why? Why? No, no, no. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm really thinking, we're going to get back in the car and drive home. And I think that's what she was thinking. This camping trip is over. She was not going to be locked in a tin camper for five days with that bear growling and snoring. She couldn't do it. She was panicking. We started calming her down. Mom, please calm down. We'll do something. We'll find something. And honestly, once she stopped, once the panic attack was over, once she stopped screaming and wailing and why, why, then she remembered that woman's got earplugs stashed everywhere. She's got them stuck everywhere. She had them in every drawer in the camper. She had them behind the sun visor. She had them in every pocket of her purse. That woman had earplugs everywhere. But, but you know, in that first moment, in that first moment when all of a sudden you realize that it's not going like you expected, when you hit that wall, your first instinct is often just to panic. Oh my goodness, oh no, 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 why? That's what we do. Why are we like this? Why do we panic? Why do we freak out? Because the moment that my mother-in-law did that, all of a sudden, she wasn't even thinking. She was completely out of touch with all of the resources that she had at hand. Panicking, freaking out, it doesn't do us any good. It just makes us crazy. It just makes the wall seem bigger. Because that's the other thing we do. We begin to exaggerate this thing. We begin to exaggerate the threat, to exaggerate our, our misery. We just begin to pile it on. We do this. I mean, we do have problems. There may be a wall in front of you. But if God says that you're going to get past this wall, if everything God has for you is on the other side of the wall, guess what? You're going to get to the other side of this wall. This is not a major setback for you. You're just going to have to wait till God shows you what to do. But you cannot panic. You cannot freak out. And you've got to stop exaggerating the thing. As a matter of fact, the people of Jericho are not giants. They're not giants. There's not a giant in the whole place. They're just people who, as it turns out, are more afraid of the Israelites 
then they're afraid of them. They're more afraid of the Israelites and their God. You see, the Israelites' first instinct was to exaggerate how bad it was, to make it honestly worse than it was. It may be bad enough, but you don't need to make it any worse than it is. So let's get right down to it. What do you do? When you're standing there at that wall, that wall that some of you are facing right this very moment, that wall in your marriage, that wall in your relationship, that, that wall in your finances, that wall in your spiritual life, what do you do? What is the secret to victory over the wall you're facing? Very simple. It's obedience. When you are up against a wall, you obey. You do everything God says. And everything God has ever said, you obey. This story, among other things, is a rather amazing story of obedience. What God asks them to do is actually rather funny when you think about it. It's actually rather funny because there's just no way you can blow horns and shout walls down. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that God makes them do it day after day after day, day after day, God continues to have them march around this town, which means truly they are now going in circles Their lives are literally going in circles every single day, day after day. And that's what God has said do. Now, now honestly, in my life, and I'd say yours too, I don't have any trouble obeying God when it seems like obedience gets me somewhere. When I'm obeying God and God is blessing me, when I'm obeying God and my marriage is going well and my children are growing up healthy, and when God seems to be blessing me, then obeying him makes sense. But it's when we begin to move in circles. It's when obedience begins not to make sense. It's when we're doing what God says do, but we don't see anything coming from that. That's when we begin to question whether or not obedience makes sense. And this is the situation they're in now. They're obeying God, but it really doesn't make sense. They've been preparing their entire lives. Read the story. They've waited their whole lives to get to this moment, these walls at Jericho. Everything of their future depends on getting on the other side of these walls. And what's the word? Just walk around them. Day after day after day. But not just walk. What else? There's one very, very important instruction. It's a part of this. You're going to walk around the wall every day for six days, but you can't what? You can't speak. You can't say a word. Now, why did God add that? God's really, God's a sharp God. Why did God say that? Why do you think? Absolutely. Stephanie Martin says it right there. Because if he let them talk... Your teenager's going to say, this is so dumb. This is lame. Why are we doing this? Am I right? Yeah. Is it just your teenager? Oh, no, no. No, it's me and you. There'd just be no way not to say what you're thinking. You might not say it for the first five minutes or so, but eventually you're going to say, are we not just walking in a circle? Is this the best that Joshua has for us? This is crazy. We're walking around a wall. And blowing horns, this is dumb, this doesn't make any sense. That's what you'd say. And that's exactly why God says, why don't you obey, but why don't you just keep your mouth shut while you do it? 
it's still pretty good advice. Why don't you try just silent, persistent obedience in your life? Because honestly, every time you open your mouth, something goofy flies out. Every time you open your mouth, something stupid flies out. So why don't you and I just learn to practice doing what God says and not making any comments about it? To a large extent, what we say really does define our reality. If we continue to tell ourselves that this is dumb, that this isn't getting us anywhere, if we continue to say this will never work, don't you understand? We can talk ourselves right into failure. So God says, obey me, but stay quiet while you do it. Not a word. The next sound I want to hear coming out of your mouth is the shout of victory. Until then, nothing. Until then, nothing. Silent obedience. And so that's what they do. Day one, they get in formation exactly as God said, and without saying a word, they walk. When you're not talking, there's this amazing thing that happens. You can think, actually, and you can listen, and you can look. You can look at those walls, and you can think about everything that's on the other side of it. You can think about what God has for you on the other side. And the more you walk, and the more you think, and the less you talk, you begin to realize that there's not a thing in the world you can do about that wall. There's not a thing you can do. Not a thing. I mean, this plan may seem lame, but do you have a better one? And so they obey. Day one, they march, they're silent. Day two, they get up early, they march, they're silent. They look at those walls, nothing happens. Nothing ever happens, but they just keep doing it. Exactly what God said, they just keep doing it. In silence and persistence, they obey. Day three, day four, day five, day six, they get up early, they walk all the way around the wall. Nothing happens, nothing happens. There will be many seasons in your life as a Christian when you obey God and nothing seems to happen and you wonder, what is the use of this? Walls don't come down. Nothing seems to move forward for you. You're just as stuck as you were six days ago when you started this craziness. Don't talk. Just keep obeying. Keep doing what God said. Day seven, they get up early. They do the same thing. Only this time, seven times. Seven times around looking at those walls that never even seem to shake. And then Joshua says, shout. It's the first sound they've made in seven days. Joshua says, shout, and they shout. Now understand, they have to shout before the first brick begins to fall out. You understand that? They have to still shout when nothing's happened yet. Now that seems like the craziest thing of all, because how dumb would you feel if you go, yeah! I'd let somebody else shout first. How crazy will you feel if you shout victory and nothing happens? Because nothing's happened yet. Nothing's happened for seven days. Why is it going to happen now? Because that's what God said. You understand? That's what God said. 
They have a promise from God that everything he wants for them is on the other side of these walls. And God wants to make it perfectly plain to them that they are dependent upon him. That if they're moving forward, it's God taking them forward. And if they're ever, ever going to get on the other side of these walls, only God can bring them down. Only God can bring it down. And the scripture says in the Hebrew, in the most beautiful way, the walls of Jericho fell flat. Flat. They didn't fall from the outside. They didn't fall from the inside. They were simply lowered by God. You understand? They fell flat down. Wouldn't that be good? Shoot, wouldn't that be good? Got people in this congregation, both campuses, been out of work for a year. Wouldn't that just be good if tomorrow that wall of unemployment just fell flat? Man, we got singles, both campuses. We got singles all around us that are just, just wondering why in the world it never happens for them. Why everybody else seems to have somebody and they never find anybody. Wouldn't it be good if that if that wall of loneliness just fell flat tomorrow? Wouldn't that wouldn't that be good? Oh, people just waiting and waiting for promises from God and, and for good things and they just feel like they're walking in circles why in the world am I walking in circles why why it would just be so good so good if if my wall would just fall flat finally fall the wall between you and your wife what if it could just fall flat God why not let that happen to my wall listen to me your wall is going to fall flat too But there's one key to that kind of victory. There's one thing that might be lacking in your life. And honestly, I don't think it's faith. I don't think that your problem is that you need more faith. Jesus himself said that all it takes as far as faith is concerned is just a pinch of it. About the size of a grain of mustard seed. And I think you've got that much. Honestly, it's not faith that you're lacking. Faith is not your problem. It's obedience. It is obedience. In those moments of your life when obedience becomes most difficult, that's when obedience is most important. In those moments of your life when you don't know anything to do anymore except what God said, that's why it's so important to do what God has said and only what God has said. When you don't have any better ideas of your own, when you have no wisdom and no power and no hope of your own, that's when the wisdom and power and hope that come from God are so important. Where else are you going to go? Baby, you're stuck. You are stuck. You're not going anywhere. You are up against the wall. What else are you going to do? You can rail at God, you can run your mouth, you can come up with better ideas, you can get bitter and resentful, and you can stand there and pout, or you can just listen to what God says and do exactly what he says for as long as he says, do it. There may be a time when obedience seems to lead to nothing, but I promise you, more importantly, God promises you that if you continue, if you will just continue to march, to obey, obedience will lead you to victory. That wall in your life, all of the walls in your life, come tumbling down. When you obey, 
pray with me? God, we don't always know what to do. Sometimes we're like crazy people just doing anything we can think of and sometimes making very, very regrettable decisions because we make decisions in a panic, Lord. We get to the place where life seems to come to a screeching halt. We find ourselves up against a wall and we don't know how to move forward. We have no idea how to move forward, Lord. And so sometimes we rely on our own wisdom, our own strength. We make decisions based on as far as we can see, and as far as we can see is nowhere. But God, you are the God that is higher, far above any wall in front of us, God. You can see the wall on both sides. You know everything on this side, and you know everything you have for us on the other side. And God, you alone are the one capable of making every wall fall flat. So Lord, today give us the grace and patience to wait on you, to listen to every word you say to us and every word we find in the Bible, Lord, and help us to obey every word you say to us and every word of the Bible. Help us, Lord, simply to obey. When we don't know anything else to do, Lord, help us to do what we know to do. Obey you. Whether it seems to work or not, whether it seems to threaten the wall or not, whether it seems to lead us anywhere except in circles, Lord, let us obey you because we know, Lord, we know because you promise it. We know that our obedience will ultimately lead to your victory. God, there are people in this house today that have been angry at you because of the walls in their lives. And Lord, truly, you're the only one who can bring that wall down. Lord, I pray that they will trade anger for obedience today. I pray that they would trade hopelessness for obedience today. Lord, I pray that they would give up, Lord, their hatred and their anger. Lord, I pray that they would give up, Lord, their sin for obedience today. That they might find their feet moving, Lord, past the wall into a land that you've promised them, a land of good things, a land of blessing. God, truly, we want your blessing. So, Lord, help us. Help us to live lives that you can bless, lives of utter, silent, persistent obedience. Some of us are up against a wall today, Lord. You know, Lord Jesus, Tell us what to do. We will obey you until the wall comes tumbling down. We'll do nothing but obey you till you make the walls come down. Lord Jesus, make the walls come down. We pray strength and power of your name. Amen.